0: Afflicted, not crushed, struck down, not destroyed. Paul's words ring across the centuries, across 2,000 years, and speak to us today as though he wrote them for us. We are afflicted, but not crushed, struck down, but not destroyed. Several years ago, when I was serving a church in Atlanta, a woman came to see me. She sat down in my office and she said, I was driving by your congregation a few weeks ago when I saw a sign on the corner that read, Grace Spoken Here. I decided to find out if that was true. I came to worship that following Sunday and indeed I heard a word of grace. I came back and I came back and every Sunday it was true. Not only in the pulpit and and in the music, but in the pews, in the hallways, people were kind and gracious. You see, she said, I, I'm so desperate for grace in my life. May I tell you my story? I said, please. Her name was Anne. She's a- Asian American from San Francisco. Her, parent, her family had come to the United States of America a couple of generations before from China. She'd met a man online. Their emails, their contacts were wonderful, she said. He seemed so gracious and kind himself. He was so interested in me and who I am. And soon we exchanged phone numbers and we began to talk on the phone often and and in quite depth. And again, it was so wonderful to talk to someone who seemed so gracious and welcoming. Finally, we said, "Let's, let's meet. And so I flew out to Atlanta and the attraction was instantaneous. I knew I was in love with him. Two months after our first meeting, we got married in a small, quiet, simple ceremony. And then two weeks after that wedding, the abuse began. First it was verbal, she said. He would put me down. He would make fun of me. He would uh, uh, take, take all he could to make sure I felt terrible at the end of the day. And then then he hit me. And then he did it again. And I thought to myself, I, she said, I, I, I know these feelings were we're, we're not accurate, but I felt, I felt guilty. I felt as though I'd done something wrong. I felt shame and sadness and fear and, and worry. And I thought, I must not be pretty enough or smart enough or nice enough or something. What's wrong with me? I took it all in. She said, you probably know that victims of abuse oftentimes feel that way. I said, yes, I, I understand that. She said, then one day I was in the ER after it hit me. And the next day I decided I'd had enough and I got a restraining order and the next day I started the divorce proceedings. And then not long after that, I drove by your church and there was that sign. Grace, spoken here. She said, but here's the problem. I'm, I'm still carrying the scars and the wounds and frankly the guilt and the shame and even though I know I've done nothing wrong, I still feel as though somehow I've not been accepted. I said, may I, may I share a Bible verse with you? She said, well, I'm Buddhist by background, but please. I said, well, li- listen to these words. These are the words of Paul, a man who was an apostle sent by Jesus to proclaim words of grace to the world. He wrote to a church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. We are afflicted. In every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. As I read those words to her, tears formed in her eyes and they were rolling down her cheeks when she repeated the last phrase Struck down, but not destroyed. He's telling my story, she said. I said, he is. His story is your story. His story is the story of Jesus Christ. His story is the story the church has been trying to share with the world for 2,000 years because it is our shared story. Struck down, not destroyed. I told her this is Paul's most personal letter. This is the place where he reveals his own pain and sadness and sorrow. In the first chapter of the letter, he talks about being afflicted and feeling like he was going to die. Now, we don't know exactly what the situation was. Was he being persecuted by Rome in an intense way? Perhaps he was persecuted at almost every stop. Was he feeling some kind of mortal illness almost? You see, he complained at times about a thorn in the side. Some scholars believe that maybe that thorn was malaria, and that's why he had to travel often up to the higher lands, up to the mountains, to to cool down the fevers that inevitably came with malaria. Who knows for sure? Maybe it was a combination of all the above. At the beginning of his letter, he's not sure he's going to survive, but now, to the benefit of hindsight, he sees, I was afflicted but not crushed, struck down but not destroyed. She wanted to know more about Christian faith. She said, I've I fallen in love with this church. Is it possible I could follow Jesus and not have to reject the teachings of my childhood of the Buddha? I said, it is absolutely possible. We receive truth no matter where that truth comes from. I would love to welcome you into the fellowship and the membership of this congregation. The next Sunday, she joined. Two months later, she came to me at the back door of the sanctuary as I was greeting folks at the end of the service. And she was crying again, but there was a smile on her face. She said, I'm so glad I found this church, but I'm moving back home. I'm going back to San Francisco. My parents have found an apartment for me. I've found a new job. But I just want you to know how grateful I am for this church. And then she leaned in close, and she said, struck down, but not destroyed. She experienced the, the, the joy and the goodness and the power of, of Christian faith. I told you her story today because Paul's story and her story are our story. You know the old quote, don't you, from Ernest Hemingway? The world breaks everyone, and afterward, many are strong in the broken places. I said to a friend of mine in San Diego once, who was who's a doctor, is that true? Is, is the bone, when it breaks, does it actually come back stronger in the broken place? He said, well, now medically, there are several things we have to discuss. I said, skip to the end, would you? <laughs> he said, yes. 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 Oftentimes, most of the time, the break is stronger than it was before. Paul saw everything in his life and the world through the theological lens of Christian faith. He saw everything even more specifically than, than that through the theological lens of the resurrection and the crucifixion. Paul understood, and you can find this throughout his writings, that in order to experience resurrection, that is to experience new life, to find some new bit of hope, and no matter what we're facing in this world, means that we must also embrace the crucifying moments, those times when we feel afflicted, struck down, knocked down, filled with pain. One must pay attention to the pain, Paul would say, in order to find the healing. My friend Robert Capon, who's now in the resurrection, a brilliant Episcopalian theologian, used to say, the only thing required for resurrection is a death. And there's truth in that, simple but clear. If we want to find that new hope, it comes when we name and embrace whatever the pain might be. Anne was beaten but not crushed. Her pain was undeserved, but she saw in the life of Paul, and even more so in the life of Jesus, a story of hope. A story proclaiming that death is not the final word. That death and pain and sorrow and sickness will never be the final word. That in God's word, in God's way, life, life, life is always the end of the story. Sometimes though, and you know this, sometimes though, the pain we experience, the sorrow we find comes as a result of our own foolish mistakes, as a result of our fear for being seen, for being less than perfect. Sometimes we do dumb things just to try to cover up the fact that we're not perfect. I said this once in a sermon a few years ago. I said, none of us are perfect. If you're perfect, please introduce yourself to me at the door afterwards. And this, this little old bald man, about 97 years old, came through the line and he said, here's perfection. <laughs> And I said, his name is Bob. I said, Bob, you can't be bald. I speak from experience. You can't be bald and be perfect. He said, don't don't you know the story? God created a few perfect heads. The rest, God gave hair. (laughs) Thank you, choir, for that laughter. Thank you. The choir choir understands. Sometimes we bring this pain on ourselves, don't we? We don't need to get into a list of sins and failures and mistakes or mean words. Well, you get the point. Sometimes we do it to ourselves. Just, Just think about the last time. The last time you hurt someone you care for, maybe you're seated by them. Maybe it was a pointed word. Maybe it was a judgmental attitude. Maybe it was a psychological or emotional slap in the face. Maybe you bullied somebody at school or at work or in your living room. Sometimes the greatest pain we experience is a pain brought on by our own dumb behavior. And then sometimes, to cover that up, we become even more judgmental, pointing our fingers at the other and say, well, yeah, sure, I may have done that, but look at you, look at all the things you've done over here. And we miss the point. Brene Brown has helped me see that some, someone who constantly judges others, who blames others, who puts them down, who belittles them, who calls them names, someone who is, is someone who is painfully afraid of being exposed themselves. She goes on to say that if someone you know someone who behaves like that, the chances are very good that they have an incredibly small self-image of themselves. And so they constantly belittle and put down and call others by names, insulting names, to hide their own fear. Worry. Did you know that one of the hottest management techniques these days is how to get rid of employees, not for bad performance, but for a bad attitude? What managers and CEOs and others are finding in companies and schools and in, in corporations, maybe even in churches, is that a bad attitude is worse than a poor performance, And they create more problems for the culture than not. And so acknowledging our pain or our failure takes real courage. The courage is born again, according to to Brene Brown, in our willingness to become vulnerable. Vulnerability begets vulnerability, she writes. And the result of that is courage. And courage is contagious. Think about this for a moment. Do you know why Peter is the greatest hero in the Bible? the greatest one that has ever been seen. Do you know why this is so for Peter? Because Peter continually gets back up again. He continually gets knocked down. Sometimes he trips himself. Oftentimes he says stupid things. He makes dumb declarations. One time on the night before Jesus was crucified, he pulled out a sword and tried to attack a Roman soldier. Jesus made him put the sword away, healed the man's ear that had been cut by by Peter, and looked at Peter like, come on, have you not been paying attention? And then Peter says, "Oh, I'll stand with you. no worries, Lord. I'll be there beside you. I'll protect you, I'll be with you, no matter what's going to happen next." And then Peter, you know the story? Do you know the story? He denies him three times. A little slave girl of the third time over a campfire comes up to him and says, "I know you were with him." And Peter says, "I never knew the guy, and he swears at her." And then he runs away and hides in fear, abandoning his friend in his worst, most difficult moment leaving him to die almost alone. And yet, and yet Peter gets back up and follows the one named Christ, knowing that his way brings hope, even in his own failure. And today, today there's a great cathedral in Rome named after Peter because he was this great hero who did so many amazing things. No, but because every time he got knocked down, he stood back up. Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer the world has ever seen, said, the real measure of a champion is not how many times you win, it's how many times you get back up when you've been knocked down. Every one of us, every one of us has been knocked down by life. It's the vulnerable and courageous ones who get back up. In chapter 4 of this letter to Corinth, Paul has the the benefit of hindsight, whatever it was at the beginning of the letter that was afflicting him, he now can see in the rear view or mirror of his life that he has come through it as strong as ever. He is wounded, scarred, but alive and encouraged. This is his most personal letter. You can, you can almost feel the pain. He wants his, his audience, he wants the congregation in Corinth to see the scars that he bears, both physical and emotional. We, we carry our scars with us a few years ago i had a small basal cell removed from my from right here just to the right of my eye you know what a basal cell is you know it's like a little if you're going to get skin cancer that's the one you want trust me it's pretty treatable no big deal went to see the doctor he said yeah we'll take that off for you went in on a wednesday he began he's ready to start the surgery and i said um i gotta preach on sunday what's this gonna look like what's it gonna be he said no worries be a small scar a little band-aid uh-huh I came out of surgery with a band-aid the size of a cantaloupe on my head. The bandage got a little bit smaller a couple days later and I preached okay fine on on Sunday but then when the bandage came off and the sutures were removed I had a large pink scar about three times larger than I expected and it was just sort of glaring and ugly and and every time I looked in the mirror I I no longer saw the bald head I just saw this gigantic pink scar on my face. I was whining about this one Sunday to somebody in the church his name was John Stewart John was old enough to be my dad, a kind, gracious soul. He said, yeah, I, saw, I noticed that a while ago. Glenn, is that a basal cell? I said, yeah, it is. He said, well, I had one taken off over here. Can you see? Oh, yeah, there's a scar there still. And I had one taken off my neck and one off my side. Well, I've, I've had them all over. I said, John, doesn't that drive you crazy? I mean, every time I look in the mirror, I'm reminded of this thing, and it just looks awful and terrible. He said, get over it. You know how I see when I see those scars? I see a roadmap of life. My scars are telling my life story. And the longer I live, the more scars I get. And that's okay that cuz that means I'm alive and I'm probably doing something that matters. Just get over it and move on. Great truth there. Great truth. For some of us though, the scars and the wounds are invisible to others. They might be physical, They may be emotional, spiritual, psychological. Some old wound that you're carrying, and it just weighs you down. Maxwell Martz was a surgeon who specialized in helping people repair especially significant facial disfigurement. Most of his patients came out of it fine. Most of them went on and never really worried much about the scars because eventually they would fade. But there were others who would come to him and say, Dr. Martz, it's still there. I can still feel it. He'd say, no, your face is so beautiful. It's so handsome. You look wonderful. What's wrong? The scar is gone. One woman said to him, I know the scar is gone, but I also know it's still there. How true is that for us? I wonder if that's why sometimes it's so hard to love someone, to be vulnerable enough to give ourselves to another. Maybe we're afraid that in doing so we'll be wounded again and the scars, the pain will be too deep, the wounds too visible. And yet those wounds are our marks. They are the marks of our life. They are the marks that we've been alive. We carry them with us forward into the new life that God promises. I mean, do you remember the story of of Thomas Uh, On a few days after the resurrection, there's stories going around that Jesus is alive again. And and listen to the mysticism and the mystery of that story. Don't get caught up in the literalness of it. Hear it in in a new context, though. Thomas comes with the disciples. They're hiding. The doors are locked. The shades are down. They're afraid that what happened to Jesus on Friday is going to happen to them. And even though they're hearing these stories that Jesus is alive, that there's something, that the resurrection has occurred, they're scared, they're frightened. And Thomas even says, I'm not going to believe until I can put my hand in the wounds in his hands. Then I'll believe. And out of nowhere, Jesus appears. And he extends his hands. And the wounds are there. He says, Thomas, see and believe. You see, Jesus carries those wounds, those scars, with him into eternity. If he doesn't, then it was all nothing more than a magic show, a cheap trick. The wounds, the scars, the pain, the sorrow, the sadness, it's real. And yet it's through the power of God's love that we are transformed and made new. Sometimes this worry, this fear of being scarred and wounded affects our Christian faith and the way we live as followers of Jesus as ones who want the teaching of Jesus to be real in our lives. Last week I spoke to a group of men, a group that meets I think every month or so, around dinner on a Friday night, to share their lives, to address questions. Every one of them comes, and I was so impressed, every one of them comes with a willingness to be vulnerable in front of the other, to express doubts and worries that they might have, not only about their faith, but their lives and the way they live it. Their ages were something from around maybe early 30s to late 70s all of them people of faith, some of them who've gone away from the faith for whatever reasons, and yet they've found each other, and they asked me to come and and speak to them. In the midst of a really intense but very very good uh, conversation, one of them, I think the oldest man in the group, said, look, I'm getting close to the end of my life. And the whole group said, you're not dead yet, just get over it. And then he said, but still, I want to know What can I give my life to? All these questions about the Bible and faith and literalness or not literalness and all that stuff. What really matters? What's the gospel? What's the word I need? And I said, You want me to tell you? He said, That's why we gave you a free dinner. Come on. (laughs) I said, we, We name it every Sunday in my church when we do the pastoral prayer and we recite Jesus' words together Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I said, you pray that, don't you? He said, yes, I do. I said, listen to those words again. What is God's will? What does God's kingdom mean? In God's kingdom, everyone has a safe place to sleep at night. In God's kingdom, everyone has enough food to eat. In God's kingdom, if you're sick, you're cared for. The early church was known for establishing hospitals. They served anyone and everyone, required no pay, required no belief statement. They just cared for anyone who came to them. The kingdom of God... It's waiting to be brought. And it's our hands that can do it. Are you willing to give your life to that? Are you willing to give your heart and soul and mind to seeing the kingdom of God, the will of God made real today in our world? I know it sounds like a scary path, but are you willing? It's easy to pray. Can you follow in in the pathway that the prayer names My dad, who was a pastor, used to to say, Anyone can pray at a hospital bedside. It takes a real follower of Jesus to clean the bedpan. And there's truth there. Paul's wounds become for him a roadmap of his life, a sign of his willingness to follow Jesus in the name of love, as Bono likes to sing. Alan Payton, in one of his stories, has a character talking about heaven. This character says, When I go up there before the big judge, he's going to say to me, Where are your wounds? And if I say, I haven't any, God's going to look at me and say, was there nothing worth living for? Was there nothing worth giving your life for? Where are your wounds? What have you given your life for? Where are your scars? Because it is there, in that place, where God is ready, even now, to do something new in your life. Afflicted, but not crushed. Struck down, but not destroyed. Let these words guide us on this day.